The language of money is actually the language of law because the laws dictate our basic contracts with society. Do you want to be the maker of the law or do you want to abide by someone else's? That's the simple question. Welcome to the Get Clear with Crystal Ware podcast, the place where we get clear on our goals, own our worth, and learn to be the CEOs of our own lives. I'm your host, Crystal Ware, lawyer and former Fortune 500 corporate leader who found the confidence to say goodbye to a lucrative career and start my own business. Now I'm opening up the playbook and sharing everything I've learned to get you there faster. It may not be easy, but it will always be worth it because you are made for more. So put on your big girl pants, jump on board, and let's reach for the stars. Are you ready to get clear? Today on the show, we have Natalie Gold. She is the epitome of an entrepreneur and a woman who builds other women up. She is the founder of Gold Legal, a law firm focused on building your legacy through asset protection, wills, trusts, and estates, an award-winning super lawyer, best-selling author, and keynote speaker. She has appeared on dozens of news channels, sharing her financial wisdom, and will be hitting the TED stage soon to discuss how to have the money talk to increase your bliss. And today she is joining us to share all of this wisdom with you guys. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, Natalie. Thank you, Crystal, for having me and for helping me move along on this snowy day in Denver today. Yes, it's always something exciting that we have to work through as moms, businesswomen, everything else. So Let's dive right in. I know we don't have all the time in the world and I feel like we have so much to talk about and I have so many questions because you are full of gold, pun intended. <laughs> this is just like a bro. I mean, my name is Crystal. People have so many jokes about that. I feel like your name is just perfect for what you are doing. Yeah. Uh, the first question I wanted to start with for everyone is, did you always want to be a lawyer? Yes, except for when I was maybe five or six and I wanted to be a teacher because I was obviously loved school and obsessed with my teachers. I think every young child sees that as their first representation of an adult besides their parents. And now I get to do both because I really believe that my platform is very much educating about the law and making it bite-sized so that people can actually understand what it is they're doing with their life's work. Absolutely. I I would definitely agree. That's what I was going to note in there that you're, you're really doing both. So you're getting to live out all of your dreams, which is absolutely amazing. And that's really what I care about getting women towards is getting out of what you should be doing and what you really want to do. Um, So you know, for a lot of lawyers, I'm a lawyer by background. I have, I want to, I, look around myself and I feel like I'm full of lawyers. All my friends are lawyers. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm a recovering lawyer. (laughs) And when I think about that and, you know, the kind of person that goes into law school is often a more risk averse person. So how did you jump out there and decide to start your own firm? Um, Because that is kind of a big risk. It's taking a lot of ownership and what you're doing and moving everything forward on your own shoulders. So how did you um, decide to do that when so many people go the way of a big, comfortable, stable law firm? It's so funny. I never thought of a lawyer as a risk-averse person until I became a lawyer and saw the other people around. And even getting into law school, I mean, I went to law school because 
I, I had a traumatic car accident at 15 years old. I was walking across the street and two guys were racing from light to light. And one hit me as a pedestrian. Did not stop. No brake marks. And and to get hit at 60 miles an hour and survive as a pedestrian, it's like mm. unreal. So that has been kind of where I start my story. And I was going to go fight for justice because I felt that um, they were going to tell an insurance company was going to tell me what I'm worth. And the guy had a $25,000 policy. So that was it. It's a sad story, but it really set the intention for me to say, no one's going to tell me what I'm worth. And no one's going to tell me how much my input is going to equate to a salary. So from the time I was 24 years old, I started my own law firm. I mean, really, I was a baby lawyer, a baby anything. At 24, you really are very, very young. Um, started my own law firm in trust and will, which is like the most wisdom-based, legacy-based area. So it's really an anomaly. Um, but how much I was able to learn in this last almost decade of practices doesn't matter how much money people have. The issues we deal with are the same. And today on my t- on my LinkedIn. I wrote about the book's spare and Harry's book just came out. I think yesterday broke records in the UK. I'm sure we'll break records in the U S for sales. And to hear him talk on his, you know, he's going through the different talk shows and to say there was an air and a spare and I'm the spare. And I was basically additional body parts and Harry will be fine. He's a Roy, like they have plenty of money, they'll be totally great. But what it hit on was what so many of my clients go through is, am I the less favorite child? Am I the lesser of? Am I worthy of? And if you can help someone heal that, which comes through the process of wills and trust, right? But really it's just conversation starter. No matter how much money someone has, they don't want to leave their children bitter at each other and basically breaking apart everything they've worked for their whole life. We see this playing out on a grand scale with the royals, but let's look internally as how is this playing out in our own lives? And I believe that what I do is bring justice to all because if you can fix people's financial conversations with each other, that really center around worth, value, love. I think you change the world. I I couldn't agree more. I mean, we've seen it in our own family and extended family where um, certainly not on the scale of the royals, okay? Not on that kind of scale at all, but on a much minor scale, the impact that that can have into your family dynamics. And you're right. You're so right that um, when a child... um, has to think about that and deal with that. And and and, and if, if you're going through that while your parents are still alive and you do have an opportunity to heal it, if you don't, you know, you really have to be a strong person, have a strong sense of self-worth to understand why you may be getting less. But those are, those are really interesting conversations that you started uh, being a part of at a young age. So did you um, have an industry mentor? Did you reach out to people? Did you figure it out on, on your own. How did you kind of make headway in that starting out at 24? I literally figured it out. I mean, I did learn my first 
job was in-house from a real estate development company for a very wealthy family. So I learned that they trusted me and looked at me as this very smart young lawyer. And so that gave me a confidence boost, right? And I also saw the money dynamics in the family, which were not always pretty, like in many large families or any family. Then I went to a trust and estates firm. I kind of learned the business nuts and bolts. And I realized if my boss could do this and have a great business, I can do this. But beyond those two experiences, I threw myself on Park Avenue in Manhattan, wearing six-inch heels, going to every networking event you can imagine from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day, rinse, recycle, and repeat, and built myself up literally like, as my relative will say, you crawled out of the swamp of, you know, it's, it's just really just willpower to, to get there and to be in Manhattan and to be a big fish and to have yourself known. And that was the start of my journey. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. So what I hear coming through, and this is what I love to mentor women on as well, is you were lucky enough to have somebody that gave you some kind of confidence and instilled in you. How can women who may not have somebody speaking that into them directly, how can they build that at an early age? Because I think that's what a lot of times keeps people trapped from moving forward in what they know or in their heart they want to accomplish because they aren't sure if they can actually do it. It's women and men, Crystal. And I would say seek out the opportunities and the people who see your light. Often it's our parents who can instill lack of confidence and and self-hate instead of the other, which is really, I believe as a mother, my responsibility is to give my girls confidence and to instill in them constantly that they're amazing, they're worthy, they're all these things. Yeah, I, I agree with you in that. I think that's why it's so important you know, you're a mother, I'm a mother. That is one of the vital things that you can talk to your kids about. So for everybody else listening in that, you know, has children or is thinking about having children, whether you're a mom or a dad, you know, that is so powerful. Telling children that they can do and be anything and giving them the space and the time to think, say, what is your dream? I I would say uh, part of my story, Natalie, is absolutely that uh, I, I come from an extremely working class background but what I did have was parents that every crazy kooky thing starting in first grade that I ran home and said, I want to do this. They supported that. And I had a grandmother who I spent a lot of time with who we just sat around and literally dreamed about the craziest things and the craziest things that we wanted to do. And she would just say, you can do this. So whether you have children or exposed to children or mentoring people or are in a workplace talking to young people, giving critical feedback is always important but telling people that they can do something and instilling that confidence, I think is really the key to uh, shaping not just your workplace, your surroundings, but like you said early on the world, like if we can go and help people and change the view and have people have confidence and moving in towards something that they're passionate and love, um, wow, things can really turn around um, for everybody. And that, that's amazing. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, moving back into what else you were doing, because uh, I just find it so incredible, you know, that, that you went on this journey um, 
so early in your career and move forward? And how, uh, besides going to networking and, and and spending time in those avenues, how how did you work on client development? That was it. The network is your net worth. And it was, so just meeting a person is not enough. You're nothing to them. Before the age of social media, you had to touch somebody six to eight times, the research says, for them to even recall ever hearing about your product, your company, yourself. In the age of social media and the 24-7 news cycle, that time is like 100x, okay? So it's making deposits into these people and knowing that you're going to give first before you get. So I'm 24 years old. What do I have to give these people? They're 50, 60, 70-year-old grizzled veterans in the business world. What do I have to give them? You know what I have to give them? I'm at every networking event. I freaking am talking to everybody. I'm going to connect them with who they want to know. I'm making deposits into their account so that when it comes time for me to make a withdrawal, they're not thinking, oh, I got to give to this young girl. They're thinking, she's an asset to me. I can't do something that will make her give this to somebody else. And that's what people have to understand. You give what you can give. And you have to understand who you are as a human being. What are your attributes? Can open the door, make anyone talk to me. Can get connected, love people. It's just a natural ease. Most people don't have that. You maximize on your strengths. Now, if you tell me, sit home and, and read emotion and, and draft, Oh my God, no way. Like that's not the type of lawyer I am. But as we know, Crystal, that's what a young associate who has no experience does. And today it's going to be Chad GBT who does it in three seconds and not a young lawyer. So how are we creating our skill set in a way that actually is going to maximize when AI is just becomes better lawyers than all of us? And how are we going to actually become differentiated as who cares about the rote knowledge. It's how that knowledge is applied to the emotional status of people. Yeah, because people want to work with people they like and people they feel supported by, you know? All about that. Because look, Crystal, when you start a project on your end, are you starting from scratch? Or are you starting from forms that you know have a tried and true? You've done these a million times. You're going to make them specific to the person but basically, 90% is there for you. So what's the difference? Why do people work with Crystal or with Natalie as opposed to Joe Schmo or blah, blah, blah? Because we make them feel something. Absolutely. Get to the core, get to the emotions, the person. And I think that when people, you know, over the last 20 years as the internet has evolved and then we have these new applications like the chat program and uh, in entrance, we've had, you know, so many revolutionary online systems. And that's going to take the people out of doing business with them. It's all going to be automated. At the end of the day, I don't agree. I think that people are going to still want to work with people and they're going to still want to work with people they like. Um, And when it comes to lawyers, I I just think back when I started um, out of law school and had no idea if they just talked to you about this, what you naturally gravitated to creating such a network. Um, you know, a lot of times young lawyers don't even know that that exists, that you, I mean, I know some lawyers now who are practicing in corporate litigation, um, or corporate transactional who 
do very little law work. I would say 20% of their time. They're major connectors. They take cases and people from all, all across the US, in some cases, all across the world, and connect them when they have a case in another jurisdiction. And they get referral credit from that just by being a connector. And who knew? I mean, obviously you knew that this was going to be the strength, but I feel like a lot of people don't understand that. And then it generates back to the confidence that you, you had in yourself to just go out and talk to people. So those are all really uh, key things in, in moving forward. And, and if, if, if entrepreneurship or starting your own thing is important to you, those are going to be things that you have to work at um, most of the time to be um, successful no matter what. And I'm just, I don't even think someone has to think of themselves as an entrepreneur. If you're going into a big law firm, you're not going to be needed for the doc review anymore in the next few years. Your value will be based on how much money you can bring into the firm because a firm is a business. Absolutely. And that's any business. I mean, people talk and they say such bad things about multi-level marketing and every company is multi-level marketing. I mean, like the top guys make more and the younger people do not. And it's all about who brings in the, the bacon. Let's be real. It is because that's the, you know, you don't have a business without money, right? No. You don't have a bit. So why are people shy about talking that or, or upset saying, I need to make a profit? I, I was just talking to somebody about that the other day and saying, well, I can't charge that to my client. And I said, yes, you can. If you at the end of the day are working with another business person and you say, I cannot economically do this, I will be losing money. I have to charge you know, this extra fee or whatever it may be. A reasonable person that you want to work with is going to understand that as a business person because you're not working for free. People are so uncomfortable talking about money. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I don't want to spoil what you're going to really be talking about on the big stage. But I know that's one of the things you're passionate about talking about and we'll be speaking um, at TED soon about. So what is it that do you think that it makes people so uncomfortable uh, talking about money and how can, you know, getting more comfortable talking about it with whether it's your work colleagues or your, your friends and family, what about that can change the dynamic uh, when you're comfortable about that? The school system has taught us not to ask about it, not to talk about it. We're never learned about it. Financial literacy is not on the menu. As a result, we grow up thinking like sex and drugs. This is something that goes unspoken about. Well, I have news for you, parents. If you don't want your kids to know about sex and drugs, they're going to find out one way or another. So you might as well get ahead of the curve and the same with money. Um, the big issue is that it's all by design. The elites are talking to their kids about money and worth and confidence and including them in their corporate records so that their owners upon birth and have trust for them and have it all settled. It's not that they're smarter or born with more knowledge. They just have a better team and they have inherited this knowledge because it's part of the conversation. Poor people and middle-class people don't have the conversation because they've never been taught. And it's by design to keep them poor and middle class. And I'm against that. I'm breaking that. There's no more gatekeeping here, okay? I come from a very middle class family. We earned everything. And I wanted to get out of that, be able to understand money. So I became a trust attorney by accident. Nothing's by accident, right? And I learned that in fact, 
really wealthy people are just the same as everybody else. They just have learned the language of money and are more comfortable with risk. That's it. I mean, I'm getting chills, honestly. I'm getting chills because, you know, you are so right. Um, I remember we didn't talk about money in my house. And certainly we were, I mean, at some point we were probably barely middle class. Uh, and then, you know, it becomes front and center when you go to law school. So I think that ripped off the band-aid for me, right? You know what the top tier law firms are paying. You know where your friends are going. So you kind of know if you got a job here, you're going to make, you know, this salary. It, it was all out there published. So that made it really easy to start talking about salary. And then when my dad was moving into retirement and I really just asked him, you know, how much do you have, dad? I need to know about this stuff. And I was shocked because all these years... He had kind of withheld, didn't want to talk about it. That's not what you talk about with your children. And he just realized like, this is what we got to talk about. You know, uh, at the end of the day, if he runs out of money, who is he, he's going to look at is his children, right? We got to support him. We need to know and understand where things are. Um, but one of the things that's foundational for me, um, while we didn't talk specifically about money, because we had, you know, money management issues when I was very young. My parents are high school sweethearts, got married early, had me planned very early. Um, they did expose me to talking about if you don't have money and how you need to handle credit cards and other things like that. And now that you're talking about that, I didn't realize what an impact and advantage that gave me because that was a subtle thing that my parents were working through and exposed me to. Um, that maybe other people that didn't have those challenges weren't exposed to. But I, I think one of my money, my money management and financial literacy uh, is so important. I actually had notes in my iPhone from like five years talking about how can we get this more into high schools? <laughs> uh, and how can we do more about this? Because it is, you know, there's a reason why law schools and med schools have also started engaging with uh, MBA programs to help people that are going to be business leaders learn the business part of it because it's not naturally astute spoken language for everybody. So how how can people um, find more bliss with with talking about these things? So the bliss equation, which I created, is, is a very simple framework. The B is the business, okay? You got to be in the business of making money in some way or another. Whether it's your W-2 employee, right? Whether it's you married into it, God bless. Whether you inherit it, really, really God bless. I mean, good for you. What a ticket. Whether you uh, won the lottery, I don't care. I'm not casting judgment on your B, but there's got to be money somehow coming into your reality because that is how we live in this 3D dimension of Earth. Okay. So that is our vibrational understanding. It's money. Great. You got to figure out a way to make it and you got to figure out a way to I, if I'm just going to skip the L for a second, invest it. Why? Because if you don't figure out a way to have your money dollars work as soldiers for you, making more money dollars, you're going to be working until the day you die. We don't want to see that. We want work to be something you do to live, not live to work, which is a very anti-American notion, I understand. But I think there's merit to it, okay? So we're going to work to live. In order to do that, we need to understand how the B and the I work together. And the I also includes risk, insurance, okay? You can lose your house, your car, everything 
because you're underinsured. The first thing I look at with my clients is how much umbrella coverage do you have? What are your policies? How much life insurance do you have? It's a non-negotiable. It's pennies on the dollar comparatively. And you hope that you wasted the money on insurance. That's exactly what you hope for. Okay, because the peace of mind it buys unbelievable. Now let's go to the L, the in bliss. The L is the legal. And the language of money is actually the language of law. Because the laws dictate our basic contracts with society. So my question to people is, do you want the law setting it for you or do you want to create the law? Now, I'm not saying, you know, be a criminal, break the law. But beyond criminal law, right, in the civil side of law, most of it is around money, contracts. I mean, a living trust, it's a contract. It's a contract you have with your trustee and there's just a sense of trustee for the benefit of your beneficiaries. That's all that it is. An employment agreement is a contract. A partnership agreement is a contract. A prenuptial agreement is a contract. Do you want to be the maker of the law or do you want to abide by someone else's? That's the simple question. And the more money you make in your B and your I, believe me, the law will, will rear its ugly head and want to get involved. Okay? So we want to make sure we stay out of court because once we're on court, we're already a loser no matter who we want to lose. The amount of money spent in expenditure and time and stress is just not worth it. So we are going to do everything in our power to stay out of that realm. And then we need a strategy, our first ask, okay? Google Maps works great. I don't care if you have an iPhone, an Android, you're going to open Google Maps, it's going to work. But you're going to be going in circles unless you have a destination. And most people have no clue where they're headed, which is why they stay in the same place forever. And lastly, our conversation around money has to include succession and stewardship. The reason people don't have the money talk crystals because they don't know what to say. They say, mom, dad, what happens when you die? Yuck. Who wants to have that conversation? Nobody on either side, so they just don't have it. Instead of, let's try this off for size. Mom, dad, you've done so well building your values, creating something here. Many moons from now, when you're no longer here, how can I step into the shoes? And what values are important to you so that I can be a steward of the wealth and the values you have created on this earth? It just hits different, Crystal. It really does. I mean, it really does. Because then you're talking about moving their legacy forward and that in at the at the end of all of us right what what is so scary about death it's the fear that you're going to be forgotten that you're going to gone that you didn't have an impact when your people whoever they may be aunts uncles children whoever will be inheriting from you um talks to you about what you've done and the impact it's had and that you can move that ball forward yeah that's um it's focusing on the continuation and not the end of their life. That That's really a beautiful thing. That's amazing. You give them a chance to speak their truth. I mean, again, the document is like 
kind of the last thing I worry about. Yeah, the documents have to have the right people in there. But really, it's the conversations that need to happen, which don't. And that is my mission. It's really to save families. Yeah, that's that's so powerful. And clearly, you were doing a very excellent job at it. And that's where, you know, I want to shift gears slightly and make sure we touch on the two other points that I think will be so valuable to everybody listening today. One, when you were starting out on this journey early on, did you have these visions of this great big goal life that you wanted to achieve? Or did you set those later? Did they evolve as you grow? How how did you, you know, come to be where you are today? I think that accident really put things in perspective for me. I think I became, I kind of was born an adult, I feel. I was always like a very different kid and and I enjoyed the company of adults more than even kids. And I really always had a knack for that. I always had a knack for planning. I mean, I did college in two years, law school in two and a half. Like I really figured out the system. And this is, I come from an immigrant family. They didn't know. I mean, like it wasn't where anyone was helping me through this. I kind of just like figured it out. And then I'm like, you know what? I was given a second chance at life at 15 years old to have that realization. It's a very powerful thing because I wasn't going to be wasting my time and my precious life doing what everyone else is doing. Because Crystal, 80% of people are born broken diaper. Like I'm not going with what the majority says. They're wrong. (laughs) It's why, you know, 20% of people make it and 0.01% really make it. Right? So it's like, okay, um, I'm just going to live my life in that way. I'm just going to figure out. And like, why do I have to work at a firm for 10 years before I start my own to be 10 years miserable instead of eight months? Like the eight months was enough. A lot of people, they have 50 years of experience, but they have one year of experience and they live the same year, 49 years after that. I mean, that's just the truth. So yeah, I mean, to me, those big goals, it's like what I need to do in this world because I'm not afraid. And I believe that women need to stand up in their courage and speak their truth. And Crystal, the truth is, I did not realize how tough motherhood would be like for a smart person who is a professional has an advanced degree let's be real that stuff kind of came easily to us sure law school is difficult and challenging but like whenever you get through it you know it's like that's kind of the easy stuff and that's very man-dominated world right here are the tasks here's what you're gonna do And I prided myself on being stronger than any man. I'll show you, Buster. Take a back seat. When I stepped into motherhood, I was just not prepared for the selflessness it takes on a human being and incorporating the things you've learned to make your kids better and that you take the back seat to what your child needs. And that's the 
agreement you make with them when you bring them into this world, right? Because they are helpless. They cannot feed and drive and clothe and shower themselves. Like you need to do all those things for them. And that role typically lands on the woman. And the unspoken agreements that may happen with your spouse about that and how I'm juggling being a brilliant career woman who prided myself on my career always and now being a mom and not know what to do and a global pandemic and there's no help around except for that that you're paying by the hour and who basically own you because if you you know then you're no help what the heck why are we perpetuating BS lie to women that they should, you know, do all these things? And, and by the way, we're doing it better than the men. It's not an issue of like capacity. We're killing it in med- medicine and law and everything. And yet, if we want to be mothers, I mean, we should have a conversation about in advance. What does that do to a woman's career? I believe you can have it all, but not all at the same time. And the pause button, which I press on my own career, because, you know, what I was doing at 25 and able to network from morning, noon, and night with no responsibility is very different than what I can do now with two young children. And giving my permission, permission to myself to say, that's okay. Like, even if you're not running a thousand miles an hour in your career, it's all okay. It's going to be great. And now that my kids are preschool, three and four years old, I'm like, you know what? Now it's my time to reemerge as a human being and a career woman, an ambitious woman, a woman who wants to make an impact on the world. But it starts at home, right? Like you can't go out and save the world if your family's messed up. So I think it's a, having an honest conversation with women of, look, if you want this, here's what that means. Here's what it means. And like, what's not sugarcoat? This is the real world. <laughs> and especially for people like us, and I think that's a lot of the people listening, the people that you come in contact in your practice, the people that I talk with and work with and have historically worked with at my different um, jobs. That is what people need to hear. I had the same challenge when I had um, my three kids who are now how old are they? Almost six, seven, and nine. And you're 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 a hard charging type A person. I can do it all. I can make it work, and I can be the top five percent about everything I'm doing. Then you have kids, and the time, and the energy, and the capability, the capacity, the sleep. You know, issues. I mean, even now, just last week, my kids are up for different reasons several nights after three or four nights, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going back to like the hysteria. I don't do well with a, a lack of sleep. Well, it does. But having that. <laughs> no. And and actually I, so if anybody's husbands want to know, I was just reading a study that said women need 10 to 20% more sleep than men, by the way. Um, so when my husband is like, why are you so tired? It's because that's our DNA is different. Uh, but telling and also the time of our cycle, Crystal. I mean, like, let's be real. You know, yeah, it's not like nine to five every day till the day I die. I mean, like, women, what we do and what our bodies perform and the miracle every month of keeping us in flow and 
oh my God. And then on top of that, we need to be better than the men also at the man things. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough. So that is where I think, you know, and one of the inspirations for this podcast came is letting women know and saying that to women, if you don't have somebody in your life, hopefully that's the voice I can be to say, it's okay. You can take a step back. You know what? Even if you decide that you're going to stay home completely for a year or two, there are opportunities back out there for you that if you need to step back, there are ways to find opportunities or make your own opportunity where you can fit in the work around your schedule. It's not as, I mean, it, it's not always easy to just find a packaged product out there or a job available that is going to work for you, but you can make them happen if you want to, because in seasons of life, it, it's just natural. And to put that added stress, and I hear you, I mean, I hear you on the pan- pandemic and when that went down, my oldest was in kindergarten, my middle one was in pre-K. I had to do online school work full time and try to be like normal person. No. It was really the point of almost breakdown. We need to hear, I'm sorry, no matter how tough I may sound and how I come across that I can do anything, I do need to hear, it's okay, I'm doing a good job. It's okay that, you know, the dishes aren't done. Um, People have to hear that because it really, it does change the landscape when you have kids. I have a great support around me. I'm sure you have a great support around you. Not everybody does even have that. but even with support, it's hard. So giving yourself permission to say, you know, maybe I'm going to be 90% today. Maybe I'm not going to fix my hair today. That's okay. And here's the other thing about money. We've been taught that our worth is based on our net worth, our financial net worth. And I believe that is an incomplete equation. Because how do you value a mother who's just as brilliant as the man in the family, just as successful by society's objective standards, has all the degrees, and yet is taking on 90 to 100% of the household activities to raise children who are going to be members of our society one day? How do you quantify her work? And how the hell do you expect her to go and make as much financial dollars when she's now doing 17 jobs? And I am so disgusted by the power struggles I see in my office and in my, uh, I made the money and she just stayed home. And you know, I will be honest with you, Crystal. I used to think a housewife, like, who could ever do that? How dare you? Like, a woman should be working and we have so much to prove and we're so capable. And it was talking from an egoistic perspective and an intellectual, well, we've been intellectualized to think and believe, but the heart knows better. And we have to find a way of quantifying that emotional labor that goes into raising a family. Because by the way, America and every country in the world cannot exist if we don't continue to have children. Absolutely. 
it's crazy what women, you know, what we do to ourselves, what society does to us to some degree. And, you know, that's why we really got, we have to support each other because we don't know, you don't know these things before you have kids. Like, right, your your whole world shifts and how you, people can tell you all of this advice. And then when it happens to you, uh, that's what, you know, it's like passing the torch. Okay, now now I've learned, now I need to share that. I need to be a better mentor. I need to be a better supporter of those around me for those for those reasons. I know we are going to run out of time. I just want to touch on one other point really quickly and then circle back if we have follow-up questions and drop all your information in to um, the show notes so people can reach out to you as well. But the other thing that I think is just so amazing, uh, and I know people will have a lot of questions about, is all of the press you've done. How did you, when did you start making press appearances and how did that come about? So um, that really started in 2017. I wrote my first book, Memorials Guide to the Universe. And by sheer will, I have pictures of that book with me and Anthony Scaramucci, NFL players, The Real Housewives, Eric Trump. Um, I sent a a copy to the president with Eric. I don't know if he ever got it at the time, you know, whether you love her or whatever. I had people on both sides of the aisle action you know crystal gotta get off your bum bum and you gotta go to where the action is and you got to make yourself put yourself out there now you also let's be real when you show up on these shows you gotta perform because your first time is make or break you gotta really be ready to go you have to have your talking points super clear and you have to come with confidence. No one wants to listen to a meek, have an opinion, state it clearly, and be able. I mean, my first time on, you know, I've been on all the shows from both sides of the aisle, but the first time on Fox, I remember I was on a panel with four other people. You have a six-minute slot for four people, including the host, to speak. You need to make your voice heard or else they will gobble you right off. Remember, everyone is there to speak. So how do you command the room in a way that the camera loves you, that you're making succinct and good points, and that you're able to split that time with the other people on the panel? And I, I really believe a lot of people want it and whatever, but... Um, you need, you need media training. You need to understand all these things and you need to understand like how to make the people at the table your friends so that they're not going to talk over you. You might only have a few minutes behind the scenes before so to make that happen and how to have a respectful discord. Because remember, when they're having a conversation, they're likely going to say to you, you're taking this side. And the other person's taking that side. Otherwise, it's just boring. If everyone goes, yes, I agree. I mean, that's not interesting TV. So you also have the entertainment factor of it all. But I would say for anyone who's looking to get into more press, you really need to know um, the right people with the right connections to get in there. You need to be able to perform one to get there. And I would say that the book for me and the books, I've written five now, are the hook. You have to be relevant, right? So like, just because you want to talk on TV, so does every Joe Schmo. 
what makes you special at this moment and how is your expertise especially suited for what's happening on the calendar and what's happening in the news, right? Like, for example, how do we start this conversation? Spare just came out. And how does that relate to my clients and what I do, right? You want to always pin it on something very relevant happening in the general speak that's happening around the country, around the world. That's awesome. That's such good feedback. So did you have any like press kits, press um, training, anything else? Or did you, like you did with your law firm, just go out there and figure it out and make it happen? So if you have the goods that can deliver on the shows, I think you really need to partner up with a fabulous PR professional to make that happen. Because just like it took me years and a decade to build my network, it takes a lot of time to know who to call for a certain person. And that's a lot of the game, right? And it's also figuring out like, because it's not an inexpensive game to play. I mean, like, I want to be very clear about that. It doesn't just happen because you're so wonderful and you're so lovely. So we're a lot of people. It's who's making the call and connecting on your behalf. And what are you paying that person to make that happen? Well, you've done a great job. You've been on so many networks. It's really worked out. And Natalie, I have to say, I don't think you need a book to sell. (laughs) I think you could just get on there and here we go. We're going to roll with a couple of questions and you would be ready to fire it out there. So uh, if anybody else has a show uh, on the news or the network that's listening in, I think Natalie would be a brilliant guest. (laughs) Look how easily she can just jump on and get going and has so much gold to share with everybody. Thank you. So the only last question I'm going to leave you with, and then we'll wrap it up because your time is so valuable, is, is there something that you could imagine yourself doing in the next five or 10 years which would surprise maybe those closest to you, your friends and family? Um, what can I see myself doing in the next five or 10 years? Having my own world acclaimed show and running for office. And I don't think that surprised anyone. <laughs> well, let me know when you do that because I would love to campaign for you and help you in any way. That would be brilliant. Thank you again for your time today. Thanks for inspiring all of us and joining Natalie. Uh, You can find more information about her legal services at goldlegalgroup.com. You can look for her books. I think they're all linked on your website as well. Connect with her on LinkedIn where she gives out so much great advice. And we will drop all this information in the show notes for you all. Remember today and every day that you have options when it comes to building that dream life that is truly within all of you. And you just have to have the confidence and the courage to get out there and make it happen. Thanks for listening in. If you loved what you heard, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with your friends. Tag us on social media so we can give you a big shout out. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want more, head on over to the website where you can learn all about what we do to serve and support our entire community. Until next time, keep dreaming big and getting clear. You are made for more. So start living like it today.